And so there came a point in our evolution when we didn't guide life by distrusting our instincts. Welcome to Soul Sutras, where we talk with folks about the gritty and mystical threads that have challenged, awakened, and ultimately compelled them to learn just what it is they stand for. Sutra is a Sanskrit word that means thread, or a line that holds things together. Today we have the pleasure of talking with Juliet Meggs. Juliet is an educator and activist for transgender-related issues. She was born and raised in Knoxville, Tennessee, and is currently finishing her PhD in counseling psychology from the University of Tennessee, while interning with the University of Utah Counseling Center. This is Kaylee, and I will be hosting the conversation with Juliet today. We are going to delve into both the gritty and the mystical sutras, or threads, that have evolved Juliet's life and work. We'll take a look at the small moments of insight and evolution in Juliet's life that guided her through what she describes as one of her core life lessons. This lesson could be summarized in the adage, coming out. But Juliet's process of coming out of hiding and owning her truth has gone beyond her claiming her identity as a transgender woman. It involves a deeper daily practice of being honest with herself and others about her feelings and experiences. I think coming out in all those kind of ways that we've talked about is about how to not just stay safe, but how to make life something worth living. So today I am delighted to talk with Juliet about her relationship with hiding and the moments that led her little by little to hide less and less. Welcome, Juliet. Well, thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. So to start off, we like to get some common ground for language. And I am curious for you, does the word soul have any resonance or meaning for you? Mm. It's not a word that I use a lot in like my daily language, but I think a lot of what I'm trying to get in touch with is some core feeling and some truth beneath all of the defenses and the shields and the misdirections that I think I and so many people have learned to develop and um, in some ways I, I could see soul being for me like like that that truth on some level okay. I don't know that I usually think of it as a soul but I I, I kind of like it now that you've mentioned it <laughs> <laughs> all right so like a deeper level of being in the world yeah, kind of like my spirit and the truth beneath all the other stuff. Okay. Could you take us to a time that you've kind of grown into that understanding, or is that something that you feel like just in listening to that word, that's what you think of? Um, and again, I don't know that I've ever applied the word soul to it, but a few years ago, I kind of noticed that when I was around other people, I had a persona, and it's almost like a script like there were things I was supposed to say, there were things I was supposed to do, there are ways I was supposed to be with somebody else. And it all felt very rigid and 
confined and it wasn't that I was lying and it wasn't that there was like intentionality behind it, but it more so it really just kind of felt like I, I don't know, I was following a script for how to interact with other people and how to live my life. Hmm. And the past couple of years, I've tried to take some steps back and unlearn the script and really try to, um, I don't know, say what I actually feel and do what I actually want or what feels like what I actually think is appropriate instead of following the script. And it, in some ways that feels like it's connecting with that deeper part of myself that's me, not just the ways I have learned to be. Yeah. Okay. That gets me a little bit into also the word authenticity. It seems like you have had these like moments of insight where you've realized following a script was not being Juliet. It was being like this socialized creature that had a right and wrong kind of path. Mm-hmm. So what does the word authenticity mean to you? I think for me, it's, it's trying to be as honest um, and as true to what I'm actually feeling and thinking as possible and not so much about what is acceptable like, or, or what mm-hmm. I have been taught is appropriate or acceptable, but what I actually feel is me. What comes to mind as the earliest memory you can recall of you deciding to be authentic and not just be acceptable? Oh, man. I, I, I remember the moment where I kind of, like, decided, like, I guess a moment more of an existential moment than an actual moment, but okay. um, I think deciding to transition deciding to become Juliet, or it's really, I think, the first time in my life that I'd said, okay, so I might lose everything if I do this. Mm. Everyone in my life might hate me, they might reject me, they might leave me, they might hurt me. I could lose everything that I have, but that would still be worth it if it meant that I could be myself on some really important level. Do you feel like there was little sutras or threads that were weaving into your life to prepare you for that moment where you could actually go for it? Or do you feel like it was just a sudden huge shift? Um, so I, I, I mean, I, I can tell how I ended up there. Sure. I would like to say that it was because this voice inside of me just gradually got so loud and so strong that I couldn't help it. But embrace it, but more so I'd spent so much of my life trying to kill it and trying to quash it and trying to be what people expected of me. Hmm. Um, And so what ended up happening, um, I was such a good kid. I, I did everything I felt like I was supposed to do. I followed all the rules. I didn't even hardly curse even. I didn't do any drugs or alcohol. I didn't have any sex. I didn't like, I I made like really good grades. Like Mm -hmm. I didn't do, I I went to the state university because it would be cost efficient and because it would be practical. Mm -hmm. Um, And I planned on being a high school teacher because it would be both something that would be respected but was also fairly safe. Like I did all these things that were safe. And Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I just, 
I kept on doing what was safe and um, it was okay. And then I, I guess it would have been 20 or so, I had my first significant romantic relationship. I fell in love with someone and she was just such a sweet, caring person. And we dated for about two and a half years. And I'd wanted a relationship my entire life. So here I finally had someone who like really who cared about me. He really mm-hmm. cared about me and who was really kind to me. And I still felt dissatisfied. Like mm. it felt like the person that she loved in many cases just wasn't me. Like mm. she loved the the script, the script of me. Mm. Uh, but she didn't really love me because I didn't show her me. I wasn't me. Like, mm-hmm. both on a physical level, like I was, um, I was presenting as male, um, identifying as male. But even spiritually, like I was like a shadow of myself. Mm-hmm. And I thought, but you know what? It's still something. I'm still fairly content. This is enough. Contentment is enough. But I stayed pretty depressed. Like, I just stayed in bed all the time. I didn't really want to do anything. Like, I loved her, and I wanted to do whatever she wanted, and I just wanted her to be happy. But I was just really unhappy. And as my, like, my script came to kind of fruition, I got to a point where I was starting to teach high school and I was so incredibly unhappy. And she left me. And she left because she was unhappy in the relationship. I think seeing this with me because I was so unhappy that I didn't want to do anything. And that even though I would do things because she wanted to do them, she didn't want me to just like do whatever she wanted to do. She actually wanted me to like enjoy things and want to do things myself. Right. And so what I found is I kind of hit rock bottom where the job I was at, I really liked a lot about teaching, but I was just not a very good behavior management person. I couldn't be an authority figure to like do what the school expected of me. So I'd followed all the rules. I'd done everything I was supposed to do. And I still ended up incredibly unhappy at what I consider rock bottom. There is nothing there. And I think it was at that moment where I was kind of like, well, fuck it. I've done everything I was supposed to do. And like that didn't get me where I wanted to go. And so maybe it's time that I actually try to start doing what I want to do. Mm. What feels right for me rather than what I'm supposed to do and I'm expected to do. And that really altered the trajectory of my life. Figure out me and get in touch with me. I feel like that's such a relatable experience that people have where when we're interacting often in relationships, either romantically or friendships or in our family or workplace, where we don't fully share ourselves, either because we don't know ourselves deeply enough yet, or we're afraid or some other variation. Mm. And therefore, we don't experience that unconditional love and that unconditional welcoming. I am curious, though, for those of us who maybe are experiencing those relationships and we can't put our finger on exactly what is it that can key us into knowing when we don't feel that full unconditional love. Mm. Can you tell like a story of a time that you were able to pinpoint that, you know, and name it or call it or see it as something that was some something that you didn't want anymore because it wasn't fulfilling? So, I mean, I, I think a, a big part of it was with any kind of physical stuff. And I think this is probably specifically about being trans, but I, there might be connections with other folks too. Like, my my body wasn't me. Mm. 
like the body that she saw, the person that she saw wasn't me. Even if she accepted it, it's like she wasn't like accepting me. She was accepting the, the, the script. Mm. She was accepting the front. Yes. So, um, and what I kind of feel like that means is that it's always conditional. Like that acceptance, that love is always conditional upon me maintaining that shell for that script. And so it's, it's nice in the sense that you have this person in your life, but it's also like there's this fundamental insecurity because it's like what happens when that leaves? What happens if that changes? Um, mm. And I think it was most salient for me with like the, the body stuff, the cost of being trans. But I mean, I think that that translates to a lot of different aspects of people in general. Absolutely. No, like even hearing you say that it's ringing with me because um, the last like short session I did on Soul Sutras was about relationships. And Mm. there's this, this aspect of intimacy that is about closeness and feeling fully seen by someone. And like you mentioned, um, you know, physical relationships and like being intimate as far as, you know, sexuality, but even sexuality, it has these deeper anchors into your personhood, right? Like it's this process of really connecting with people, especially when you're in love with someone and like you have a relationship there, whether that be romantic or not, if there's not an intimate part where you feel like there's an unconditional knowing of who you are and loving that, then it feels kind of false. here like there's a lot of elements or like sutras or threads around kind of not wanting to bother people not wanting to like throw the throw the game so to speak within like our systems of our family that we grew up or communities culture neighborhoods whatever we identify with religion don't mess up what is there then we'll be okay but I love that you're saying like your I would call your intuition or like your element of who you are was always there. There was never a moment that it wasn't there for you, but you just tried to hide it. Can you speak more to what are the threads of hiding or what are the elements of hiding that make it exhausting? It's just kind of like it's not real and you know it. Right. You know it's not real. Dimly aware that there's so much more and... A pulling back so that it doesn't disrupt others. I wouldn't even call it self-sacrifice. It's like self-abnegation. Like you are just like flat out denying yourself. Like you are taking parts of yourself and cramming it inside of you and never letting them out because they might make other people uncomfortable. Hmm. Um, that is just such an act of violence. It's hmm. it's like a and I think it's an act of violence that we're taught and then we continue to perform upon ourselves thereafter until we find some way to um, unlearn it or undo it. Um, like what would be an act of violence that you would continue, like people would continue to act upon themselves? Can you explain that a little? I think one of the biggest ones for me is secrets. Mm. Um, and that there is all of this stuff um, all of these secrets, all of these things from when I was growing up 
um, that kind of like, it's like I, I picture like taking like the words and like shoving them down my throat and like I'm like choking on them. Um, oh, okay. And like I'm continually like holding back and I continually like not saying the thing or not like expressing myself. Um, like not, like all this violence is being done to me and I'm not like saying anything about it because I don't want to hurt the other person, for instance. Mm. If you're kind of feeling like you're, you're wearing a mask or you're not really expressing who you are, mm-hmm. how does that affect your ability to be close with people? Um, so it's really weird. Like you, you don't, you're like, it's a different kind of closeness. Um, well, like, it's like what I would do is I would just ask other people questions. Um, and I would get them to talk about themselves and I would like have ways of like bringing people out of themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, and like, I could get a lot of people to talk about a lot of different things, like, um, all kinds of like, just really painful things because that's what I wanted to know about those things. Mm. Um, and like you wanted to know what other people were hiding, kind of. Essentially, yeah. I don't think that I knew I was doing that. Yeah. Um, okay. But but I think that I um, I felt so alone in my own pain that I wanted desperately to think about other people's pain. Um, but I wasn't even aware of and didn't feel like I could share my own pain. And so what I would do is try to get them to come out of themselves and mm-hmm. connect with that. Um, and so for many years, like what I would basically do is I would just like get them to talk about themselves and, and mm-hmm. what they were struggling. And in some ways that's a kind of connection and in some ways it's a, it's a kind of relationship, but it's almost right. like, it's not like an equitable relationship. It's not like a relationship of two people like sharing, connecting with each other. It's more so like, one person sharing and I'm connecting with that, but like, I'm not saying hardly anything about my experience. Mm. Myself. Yeah. And, and I honestly don't think that it ever occurred to me. Someone else would really want to know. I think it felt like the only way I could talk with people was if I was like asking them questions and almost kind of taking care of them. But like, that was like all I could really do. Um, mm. And the idea that I would share myself didn't really even like, who would want to know in so much as I did interact with other people, it was to, I guess, hide in plain sight by like having a conversation with them where I said nothing and I revealed nothing. It was a position of safety. It was a position of how I'd learned to keep myself safe. And um, in some ways I feel like I, I was really unsafe. Um, I was unsafe uh, as a trans person, um, like acutely unsafe. Like if anyone found out that I wanted to be a girl when I was young, then that could have been really dangerous. I was unsafe at home and that there's a lot of stuff with my dad, um, being really upset about anything. So I had to like control information, control what he saw, um, control what my mom saw so she wouldn't tell. It was about control and about safety, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's I, a lot of secrecy kind of in your environment it wasn't just in your own personhood in your own body but just in like the context of what you grew up in completely it was completely about secrecy I feel like our entire family system was built upon secrecy and like I guess pretend that everything was okay when there was like a really rotten core 
at the center of it all. Like we were both all aware of, we never talked about. Right. I feel like so many families have that. And it's like... <laughs> the most families have kind of like this, this stuff going on. The script was the only thing that maintained sanity or, or maintained mm-hmm. a sense of control. And I think what was so awful about it is that looking back, I just wish it had all gone to hell. Like, mm. I just, I wish the family had burnt to the ground. Like, like the shit hit the fan and people yes. could be like... Really? I think when I was a kid, I felt like that happening would have been the end of the world. Mm. Um, and that if anybody found out what was going on in our house, that like everything would be awful forever. Mm. Um, but since I've been, especially I think since I've been a therapist, I think what I found is that the consequences of the fallout are just the rarely as catastrophic as you think they'll be. Mm. And in fact, once things come to light, um, like things may radically change, but like the clients that I see who often do the best are the ones who like their parents kind of were abusive or negligent, but then they got out and they lived with grandparents, they lived with aunts or even like their foster care folks. Like they found an adult to care for them and keep them safe. Mm-hmm. The ones who have lived in unsafe environments for a very, very long time um, and they never got out of that are I think ones who a lot of it stays ingrained in ways that are pretty awful. That makes so much sense to me. I've never heard it put like that, but I guess having the fallout creates a space that's more blank. It's like, oh, wait, you either can build a new perspective or you find a new perspective. It's more creative. It's just, it's blank. Like when you have the fallout, there's more emptiness, but the good kind of emptiness that you can build from. Whereas when you have a system that you're trying to build upon, that can be a lot more tedious and you're just building upon a perspective that's already kind of self-harmful. It's like a corrupt foundation. Um, Yeah. You do what you have to do to stay safe. But I think at a certain point, like, especially if you're at a certain degree of privilege or whatever, like, if safety is your goal, safety is kind of awful. Like, yeah. Safety is keeping right. you going just because you, like, the alternative is death. Like, mm. and at a certain point, especially, like, when I got to be an adult and I got out of the house, like, it wasn't life or death anymore, but that's all I kind of knew was, like, mm. staying safe. I didn't know how to um, thrive. I didn't know how to grow. I didn't know how to um, connect. I just knew how to stay mm. safe. But I think coming out in all those kind of ways that we've talked about is about how to not just stay safe, but how to make life something worth living. Mm. Yeah. With my full self rather than just like all the little pieces that I kind of chopped up and hid. So like a full embracing, like this is me, take it or leave it. In that experience, have you, do you still feel moments of this old way of hiding? Do you still feel like there's times that come into your life where you're like, hide, get out, take cover. Like, do you still feel that at moments? And what do you do with those feelings if you do? Uh, yeah, I feel that way completely all the time. Like, <laughs> uh, like these things don't just, they don't just go away. <laughs> and so what I, what I feel like is I feel like the, the decision to transition changed the trajectory of my life from a direction of safety and self-denial to a direction of authenticity and risk. But it's kind of like, I went through like a period of transition, like a, like a physical transition, like becoming Julia, like physically and all that. 
But I feel like the years after that have been about figuring out how to be Juliet holistically. How do I really be honest with what I'm feeling? How do I really be honest with what I want and safe and connected even still? And I'm, I'm still very much like figuring that stuff out. Yeah. What was it that you feel like is something that you stand for very strongly today? I think I stand for honesty and openness. I want to try to be as honest and open as I can be. And I want other people to be as well. So many of the problems that I see come from hiding, from protecting other people from ourselves or protecting ourselves from other people. I think honestly, the biggest surprise I had in transitioning was how much things didn't change. Hmm. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, talk some more about that. Like, I felt like when I transitioned that it was going to destroy the world. Like, um, <laughs> yeah. Like even, even I remember sitting with my therapist feeling like if I just even vocalized it, it would disturb the universe, like as Elliot says. And when I actually transitioned and I came out to everyone, a lot of folks in my family had a really hard time with it. But most everyone else, they just kind of rolled with it. Like it, mm. it just wasn't that big a deal. And it, it was this thing that I kept secret for so long and that I felt so much fear and shame and all this other kind of stuff. And just people didn't really care nearly as much. Like they just didn't really care. Um, <laughs> and that felt kind of good to you that they didn't care? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, like, like they just didn't really care. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually found that it was, it was kind of cool because I started doing a lot of uh, presentations and I started doing a lot of like activism trying to be in transgender and if they wanted to know about it they were interested in it and it was kind of cool for me to talk about all that kind of stuff um but I mean I've had a couple of negative experiences from being trans but it's aside from my family like most people just seem to kind of roll with it um and they they may not agree with it as many of them say but like I don't know. I think what it taught me is that I was so afraid of these outcomes, what would happen if I stopped hiding these parts of myself. And what I found is it just really didn't matter. It just really, it was, I was shocked by how okay it was. Yeah. Yeah. I love that because I feel like we, our imagination, as my dad puts it, is so much scarier than reality. Mm -hmm. And like, we usually when we're hiding something or not being fully ourselves, or even if you're like, okay, I I have to quit this job and I don't want to tell them, like, like you're saying, we make the fallout seem like it's going to be devastating when actually it usually opens up, like you're saying, a space of freedom. And one thing I kind of, and maybe this sounds weird to you, so tell me if you think this is off, but it kind of seems like maybe there's this element of like, it didn't matter that you came out because you matter. And at the end of the day, like the people that feel like you matter, then that is what is their value. It's not necessarily about, um, you know, like some, some friends or people that just get so offended when someone changes and they're like, oh, you've changed. Like, and it's like this personal offense. I don't feel like those are usually the people that feel like you matter, you know, but if you change and someone's like, I love that, like, yes, this is so much more who you are. And like, you're owning yourself. Those are the people that want you to matter and they want you to step up and be who you are. It totally. Like, I think one of those beautiful things that somebody told me was, um, so I, 
you know, I, I broke up with that girlfriend and, um, or she broke up with me. And um, so when my girlfriend broke up with me, we didn't really talk too much for the next year. You know, I, you do whenever you break up. Mm. Um, and then when I first saw her again after I transitioned, um, it was cool. And she later told me that she was nervous about meeting me um, as Juliet because, like, what had changed. Mm-hmm. Um, but what she found was that I was, she said, you were you, just more so. Mm. I think I think when people want you to be more you, that's kind of that connectedness. That's kind of like the, the, the careness. Yeah, because that's a powerful relationship when someone is invested in you. I mean, I feel like the word power can feel a little weird, but when someone really wants you to feel powerful as a human being, like you impact people, you matter. I feel like that's a relationship. Yeah. your work with transgender education have you found a lot of common threads among families you talk to like common fears or misunderstandings that you've worked through with people so i think the biggest pattern that i saw in the activism education work is i feel like most people really want to do the right thing uh, or the good thing whatever that means to them I mean, and I, and I gave these presentations and primarily in east tennessee and many of the audiences were um, I guess friendly in the sense that they were sympathetic to LGBT causes or whatever. Um, but there'd be a fair number of times where, you know, I'd present to a fairly conservative group or there'd be a number of conservative people there and they might have a lot of complicated feelings about um, LGBT issues. Um, but even those folks, I felt like really wanted to do what was good and what was right. Like that was their main motivation. And the biggest thing that seemed to make an impact for my presentations was not really much of anything that I'd said, but just me being like a person. They were presented with this dilemma where I think they'd had this idea of what a transgender person was. Like they'd come up with their own story. And then seeing me, they're kind of like, she's not what I thought she would be. She's actually a person. And I don't know that I can think about her in the same way that I have. And so it's the same for what I have to do with my attitudes and what I have to do with my beliefs about being transgender. It created a, a, a dissonance. It, it created like a, um, I want to be a person who like respects others and cares about others. And like, and I want to hold true to like these um, often religious beliefs um, that I have. And now increasingly these two things are in conflict with each other. I don't know, I think I was just always so surprised that there wasn't any single piece of information that I feel like really made the difference, but just like Mm. me being myself Mm. was what felt like made the most change. I think that's so, not ironic, but like kind of beautiful that that ties into the whole process of what it means to be open and honest and how that in itself creates a space for possibility. Mm -hmm. That's super powerful. What would you say are prevalent threads or sutras in the trans community that go unnoticed or are misunderstood by the public at large? Hmm. There are so many answers to this question. 
Um, so I guess I'll speak to two of them. I don't know if these are the most significant, but they're maybe the two that stood out to me. I think one of them is that trans people are still people. And what I mean by that is not just that we're human beings and we should deserve the same respect as everybody else, but that being trans is just one part of a much more complicated story. Being trans is like one of those threads. Mm-hmm. But, the, but the things that seem to make the most difference for me are like the ways that my family interacted and the ways that my dad was. Mm-hmm. Um, being trans was one of many things that I hid. I think a lot of times people will want to focus on being trans or even like think about what are the ways that being trans has been like hard for you or hurt you. And for me, it's like, yeah, I mean, like it's been really, it was really hard. Um, I mean, especially before I transitioned, but there are so many other things that were so much worse. Mm. And I feel like a lot of me gets lost when people just like see me as a trans person, mm. see me as a person who is trans, who is also um, the child of an alcoholic who was also from East Tennessee and non-religious, who was also fairly depressed a fair amount of the time, who was also has a flip phone <laughs> and he has big hair, like who was like a complete person. Mm. Um, and that all trans people are complete people who have so much more to them than just being trans. So I, I think that that's one thing. I think the other thing that has stood out to me about being trans is all the positive things that come from being trans. This actually comes from my dissertation. When I originally started writing my dissertation, I was mainly going to focus on negative attitudes about being trans, like how trans people felt negatively about themselves. But I felt like that would be pretty limiting. Like I wouldn't get a full picture. And so what was really cool was when I opened up the space to ask trans people, like, how has it made a difference? Like so many things came out. Like so many of them would say, like, being trans helped me assert myself. Um, mm. Coming out helped me assert myself. Coming out helped me know myself and know what I wanted more. Coming out as trans helped me be more empathetic because now I can relate to the struggles of women, uh, of people of color, of um, oppressed populations, whereas before I may have had most of the privilege. Now I, I get it. Like I, mm-hmm. In a way, I could have never, because I didn't live it, I could have never gotten it before, but now I kind of get it. I'm so much more empathetic. Mm-hmm. Being trans has helped me connect better to other people, and I found community, and it's really been awesome to see how other trans people will be so supportive of you and so helpful. And just like all these different ways that coming out and being transgender, and the same way that I kind of experienced it, like it being like the first step of really becoming myself holistically, that being transgender, while it can be very hard and difficult from like a societal oppression standpoint, can also often offer so many different gifts of perspective too. It taught me who was really going to stand by me and taught me who wasn't. I think the most significant one was my, my grandfather, who was almost 90 and conservative and, you know, watched Fox News all day. <laughs> we all know that if you grew up in the South, we right. have members of the family that like the Fox News. Totally. But he just like, he loved me. Mm. Like, he was the only person who said, I trust that you wouldn't be doing this unless you really needed to. Wow. And I know it might be hard for you to be around me because I won't really understand it. Mm. Uh, but I just, I love you and I just want you to stay in my life. Hmm. Uh, and it, what do you I mean, think was it that made that occur for him when he was feeding himself, you know, like conservative talk radio every day? Like, how did how did that possibility show up for him? Do you think? Um, there's like you know these this like ideology, and then there's like the matters at the heart. 
Mm, yes, yes. For my entire life, he had just always just loved me. Um, mm. Loved, he loved us. He was one of the most generous, genuinely like kind people that I knew. Without him, I don't want to know where I would be in life. He loved and accepted me for who I was and did not need me to be much of anything. He just wanted to spend time with me. Mm. Um, like he had no us. agenda. He didn't feel like he needed to be fixed. Nothing was wrong. He just wanted to like share that space. Exactly. He just wanted to share that space. You know, so many families have their own tics and their own scripts, as you described, for what's important to them and what they want their children to follow. And I'm curious, with clients that come to you dealing with a rejection from the family, do you have any tips or offerings that you want to sow into them? So I think for me, what I found whenever I decided to transition and I, I did experience all that rejection from those folks was that still me being me offered the possibility for a kind of relationship and connection I never had before. Mm. And it's still one of me, I've still been really hurt and I still have not really worked through a lot of those hurts. But I feel like when people really care about me and connect with me now, like there is a sense they're doing it for me. They get, they're connecting with me. It's not some like instrumental thing where they're getting something from me or like it's a kind of connection that feels valuable and important in a really great way. I think it's, it's worth it. What is it about psychology that drew you to the field? And can you... Oh, man, I actually don't really like psychology. <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea of therapy as something where you connect with another person, like as a human being, mm. where you're two human beings connecting with each other. Like, there's something really beautiful about that. I think that part of psychology is losing a lot of its power as like, the emphasis becomes more upon medicine, brains that are just mm. biological or outside of our control, essentially. So like we mentioned, vulnerability is not knowing what's going to happen. And I feel like psychology as a discipline, especially direction it's going in, is about control. It's about trying to control how unhappy people are, control, mm. like to stop anxiety, to stop depression, to mm. categorize them as mental illnesses and, and like diseases that people have. Um, mm. It's about like, how do I control my stress? How do I, or how do I manage it? It's often very individualistic. These are your problems. Like even, like even like college counseling centers, if so many students are so stressed out and it's so negatively impacting them, maybe that says something about the systems that we're in and like the pressures that people feel. Right. And I worry about treating like individual problems as a way of like not having us really 
challenge and change some of the systemic factors that I feel prompt a lot of it. You have pain that comes from a source that we can we can do something with it. Like we can like there's something that can be done that might need to be done both in terms of like should have been done when you were a kid, um, maybe needs to be done on like a systemic university or societal level. It's not you that's the problem. It's really not you that's the problem. Are there tools you utilize when you feel yourself or their self like reverting to old like sutures of hiding and like being ashamed of pain and support them in the process of harnessing their power and like using that like depression or pain or anxiety as insight? I guess the, the first principle is acceptance. Like the more I fight against myself and how I feel, the more I create up a battle and a war that this feels kind of awful. Mm. And the more that I'm kind of able to sit with how I feel and like, okay, well, yeah, I'm depressed again. Or yeah, I am really being up to myself or whatever. The less that I fight it, the more that I can kind of let it breathe and I can kind of engage with it a little bit better. And the second part of it, I think, is trying to engage with myself and my feelings as like a human would. Getting in touch with what I actually feel and what I actually think and not what I should think and not what is right and not what is wrong and not what is good or what is bad. But in some ways, it's like being vulnerable with myself because I don't know where I'm going to go or what's going to happen. The less that I fight, the less that I judge, the less that I really try to control, but the more that I'm able to like listen to myself and what I feel, what I want, what I need, the more that I feel like I'm able to act from a place of intention and centeredness rather than fear or pain. And I almost feel like there, there is a voice inside of me that speaks on my best interest and speaks on my behalf and speaks on my truth. And the more that I can listen to, to the, this voice of connection, the more that I can act from places that are, from, that are me and present-centered rather than imperatives from past parents or from society or different things mm. like that. Yeah. Um, I love that. How do you listen to yourself? I listen to my body. I've made it a practice to check in with, with my body. There's a space for that. There's like a window where I can let stuff out, respond organically. Last question, what is a thread you want to sew into the folks you meet and impart on the world? Like a new sew, like if, if, if you had a giant needle and you were sewing in something into the tapestry of life, what do you think it would be? I don't think I'd want to sew a new thread. I think I'd actually <laughs> want to let them unravel as much as they mm. could. And mm. then I could just see all of their threads just like hanging out there in the wind, like no longer wrapped so tightly, no longer protected, mm. just like hanging out there frayed and messy and disorganized. And I can just like see, like I can just like accept and I can just like be present with their frayedness in the same way that I would hope that they would be present with mine.
Thank you again for listening to Soul Sutras, where we talk with folks about the gritty and mystical threads that have challenged, awakened, and ultimately compelled them to learn just what it is they stand for. This has been a conversation with Juliet Meggs, an educator and activist for transgender-related issues who is currently focusing on finishing her PhD in counseling psychology with the University of Tennessee and interning with the University of Utah Counseling Center. If you liked the music today, the song on our intro is Where Do You Belong by Kala, and our interlude music includes the bands Greatest Lakes, Welcome Wizard, Strong Suit, and Sacred Side Project. Thank you so much again, Juliet. And to the listeners, we hope this conversation has inspired you to tap into your personal sutras and awaken deeper to your truth and just what it is you stand for. You can find our Soul Sutras podcasts on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. Follow us on our brand new Facebook page and Instagram as well to keep updated on all of our upcoming shows.